A minute ago, we are in this series on our new mission. We tweaked our mission and our values. And we are all about this because we want to position ourselves so God the Holy Spirit can work in a dramatic ways so we can experience more and more of his kingdom. Now today, I want to talk about two more of our 12 values. I want to talk about humility and prayer. We're going to start with humility. <laughs> so grab this insert in your worship folder. Uh, it's a other insert. There's some blank uh, space so you can take some notes, but uh, flip it over so what you see is value number eight, humility. Under it, we have a statement in bold. This statement is how we desire to express humility collectively here at Wheaton Bible Church. And the statement is, in light of our brokenness, we are a hospital. We are a hospital, not a country club. Now, I want you to repeat this after me out loud, but I want us to put emphasis on the word hospital. All right? Here we go. Let's do this together. In light of our brokenness, we are a hospital, not a country club. Now, I, I, I'm laughing because honestly, I have no business speaking on the subject of humility. And this, the last couple weeks, as I've been studying humility, I've discovered the more I study humility, the more I recognize how proud I am. I am a proud man pursuing humility, and I want all of you to join me. You, you see, according to the Bible, the issue, especially for us as, as Christians, isn't whether or not we are proud, it's where pride exists in our lives and how deep its roots go. Those sectors, those areas where pride dominates, other areas where it may not dominate, but it's lurking in the, in, in the shadows. You see, pride is like a, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And it whispers to all of us, oh, God didn't really say that. You've had a really bad week. Go ahead and indulge yourself. Or the serpent comes along and uh, whispers uh, to us, um, you really think after what you did, God wants you to come to him in prayer? Man, you need to run from God. Or, or pride comes to us, the serpent comes to us and says, you know, you really are better than those idiots. Uh, don't listen to them. Or worse, you know, you don't need God. You got this good thing going, and just go after it. Uh, don't worry. Don't worry about God. Uh, a couple years ago, or no, I guess it wasn't a couple years ago. It was just a couple months ago. I tried to block out these painful memories. Rhonda and I were having a discussion, got a little heated. And at one point in our discussion, um, Rhonda said to me, Rob, why are you making this about you? I'll tell you why. Because I have a pride-drenched heart. And pride-drenched hearts, my pride-drenched heart, makes things about me. 
It makes me self-focused. It makes me angry. It makes me defensive. It, it makes me impatient. And it makes me way too concerned about what people, the people around me, think. So what is pride? Let's start with what is pride, then we'll get to what is humility. I love the way C.J. Mahaney, in his little bit book, Humility, I recommend that book to you, Humility Expresses or Defines Pride. Look at what he says. What is pride? Uh, pride is contending for supremacy. It's contending for supremacy with God. It's self-glorification. It's a futile attempt to rob God of his glory and shower it on yourself. And the problem is that God hates our pride. A couple of verses. Look at Proverbs 8, verse 13. God is speaking. He says, I hate pride and arrogance. Let's go forward uh, eight chapters to Proverbs 16. We read this. Strong language. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Then let's go to the New Testament to James chapter 4. God opposes, opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. You and, I hate, you and I hate nothing to the degree that God hates pride. It's a theme of the Bible from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Why? Well, pride destroys families. It destroys marriages. It destroys friendships. It destroys community. It, de it destroys churches. It destroys life. Pride is our greatest enemy, and humility is our greatest friend. <laughs> this is why we as a church must, must, must aspire to humility. It's why we, by God's grace, envision a, a future where individually and in our groups, we will name and confess our defensiveness and our self-righteousness. And where we will frequently say, and you couples, hear me in this. Uh, those of you that are in groups, hear me in this. We will frequently say, I was wrong, and follow it with laughter. Laughter. Because our confidence isn't in ourselves. Our confidence is in God's grace in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a story. Ten years ago, Rhonda and I were dating it's really weird, by the way, to be dating as a senior pastor. Uh, but we, we were dating, and we were having an argument, a, a, a big argument. And our argument was over one of our kids, uh, which in step family, blended family life, and, and the systems is um, complicated. Parent kids is, is complicated. And um, I was fuming because we were arguing about one of my kids. And I was absolutely convinced I'm right, and I say that in all humility. It's <laughs> now let me give you a little background just in case you don't know our story. Uh, Rhonda's first husband, Tom, 
was a wonderful, wonderful leader here at Wheaton Bible Church. And he was one of my closest friends. And our families vacationed together and on and on. And Tom and my first wife, Carol, both died of cancer. And Tom and Carol were the easygoing, laid-back spouses in our marriages. So you know where this is going, okay? Rhonda and I are both type A's, and we love telling others what to do. So I'm fuming. I mean, it's my kid. And out of nowhere, uh, Rhonda um, says something to me, and she says it calmly and quietly. And here's what she said. I will never, ever forget it. She looked at me and she said, Rob, Tom would never talk to me that way. And I said, don't you ever say that again. No, I didn't. But here's here's what was going on in my mind. All of a sudden, I mean, I stopped. Because all of the sudden, God gave me a picture of humility embodied in my buddy, Tom. And the picture was, uh, and it was just clear as day, man, humility doesn't uh, yell in anger. Humility doesn't insist you're right. Humility isn't an unwillingness to be corrected. And, And so... I I, I looked at Rhonda, and I started to laugh. And then I said, you know, you're absolutely right. Tom would never have talked to you like that. And I apologize. And fortunately, because Rhonda's a wise woman, she's never said it again. But this picture of humility changed my reaction. Humility isn't being perfect. It's being open, honest uh, about your fears or your anger, your impatience or your battles or, or your idols and on and on. And you know what happens when you move towards humility? Other people see the gospel in your life. Because you're not trying to hide. You're not trying to pretend. So let's go back. I I want to go back to James chapter 4, verse 6. I want you to see this. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. You've heard this statement, right? God helps those who help themselves. Right? That is so wrong. It is so unbiblical. Uh, James uh, says something very different. James here says uh, that instead of God helping those who help themselves, God helps those who what? Who humble themselves. There's a world of difference. So now, let's go on. What is humility? Well, humility is not denying your abilities or your gifts. It's not denying them. Uh, Author Steve Brown tells this great story about his German shepherd, Barnabas. Barnabas was a massive dog, a strong dog, dog, and Barnabas was also an obedient dog. 
And as a result, when the uh, Browns built the, the fence around their backyard, it was only three feet high. Barnabas never jumped over it until one day when there was a motorcycle slowly riding by with a guy on the motorcycle that Barnabas didn't like. And Barnabas just sailed over the fence and went chasing after the guy on the motorcycle. So Steve Brown goes and gets Barnabas. He brings Barnabas back to the backyard inside the fence and they have a talk. And Barnabas speaks first. And Barnabas says to Steve, this massive German shepherd, Steve, did you see me? I didn't know I had that ability. I cleared that fence by uh, three feet. I, I can't believe it. But Steve, I've been thinking about this as you've been dragging me back. And you know, um, Steve, I, I never knew I had this newfound ability. But I'm never going to jump the fence again. Uh, because the neighbor dogs will think I'm proud. And I'm a Christian dog. <laughs> and prideful dogs jump fences, but I'm humble. Now, Steve, a very wise man, grabbed Barnabas by the color, collar, pulled him a little closer so they were, you know, he was right in Barnabas' face, and he said, Barnabas, stop it. Stop it. The issue isn't that you can jump over a fence. The issue is that you run in the street and chase a motorcycle guy and he's scared to death you're going to kill him. So we got to figure this thing out. But Barnabas, God has given you that fence jumping as a talent. It's a gift from God. Don't deny it. And frankly, Barnabas, when you talk like this, you're not being humble. You're being dishonest. Whoa. Humility isn't denying your abilities. It's not apologizing for your strengths. It's not denying the grace of God in your, your life. As a matter of fact, look how Paul expresses it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. What does Paul say? He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Now that is not a statement of pride, that is a statement of honesty. So what is humility? Well, humility is honestly assessing yourself in light of God's majesty and your sin, your sinfulness. Because without the awareness of, of both, your view of self will be skewed. You'll think on the one hand uh, you're everything or on the other hand you're nothing. So the more you and I as individuals live in light of this dual identity, we're, we're children of the King of Kings, we're beloved children who showered us with grace, who promises eternity. On the one hand, we see ourselves as children of the King. On the other hand, as the New Testament is very clear about, we see us as sinners, uh, even as Christians, desperately needing God, of God's continuous grace. And the more and more we individually live with that tension, understand that dual identity, then the more collectively we will see ourselves as a church, that's a hospital, not a country club.
because we know we're bleeding and broken. And we'll be welcoming and inclusive and we'll care deeply about the needs of the people around us uh, in our communities, especially the vulnerable. Now let's go on. Let's go to prayer. So turn your insert over. Look at value number nine, prayer. There is power in prayer. We're going to say this out loud, but let's put the emphasis on this very long verb, is. All right, so let's say to this together. There is power in prayer. Man, I want you to believe this. You moms, I want you to believe this. Uh, you men and women in the marketplace, long days, hard days, I, I want you to believe this. There is, there is, there is power in prayer. Now before I talk about prayer, do you see the linkage between humility and prayer? We can say it a couple different ways. Uh, one way is we can say, unless you're humble, you won't pray. And if you don't pray, you won't be humble. Or we can say it more positively. When you're humble, you'll pray. And when you pray, you'll become increasingly humble. There's this wonderful, delightful linkage here. We aspire as a church to be a praying church made up of individuals who have found the joy, have discovered the joy of prayer. Now there are all sorts of Wheaton Bible Church groups that meet, especially focused on prayer throughout the communities around us. And there's a variety of groups that meet uh, during the week on our campus uh, to pray, including a Wednesday night group that's led by a couple of our elders. That'd be a great place for you to jump in. But we want you to pray. We want you to pray with other believers. We want you to pray in your groups. We want you to pray wherever you are, whatever you're doing on your drive. We want you to pray for your families, to pray for your friends, to pray for our culture, our country during this election season, right? We want you to pray for renewal, for revival, for the a movement of the Holy Spirit that is life-changing and life-giving all around the world. Well, here's some of that at Missions Fest. And we want you to create this prayer care share list, we call it, of five to ten people in your life who you don't think know Christ, and you're praying for them, you're praying for them, you're caring for them. And as God gives you grace, man, you lift up Jesus and you tell them about what Jesus has done in your life. Humility prays like sparks fly upward. There's this linkage. It's crazy. Now, uh, personally, I'm on a prayer high right now. Last week, Rhonda and I were in the Rockies. The first couple days we were hiking and biking, then we were at some meetings on Focus on the Family. I, I, I mentioned that. And while we were up hiking and biking, I, 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 there was something I really wanted to, to have happen. Rhonda and I wanted to have happen. And every time I tried to move in that direction, it just got blocked. It was just like I was butting my head up against the wall. And Rhonda came to me and said, you know, um, 
I, I, I don't think you should keep trying to do this, bring this up. And so I, I can see it. I, I went and got alone with the Lord and I prayed. And I said, okay, God, this isn't working and I'm done. I'm not going to say another thing. And I'm surrendering this to you and not my will, but your will be done. The very next day, God intervened and resolved the situation in a way that exceeded anything I had been praying about. It was a direct, wonderful, divine intervention on my, in, in, in my life. And I'm still living on the fumes of it. I just love it when God does that. Now, I want you to see a wonderful verse in the Old Testament on prayer. It's found in Jeremiah 33. Look at this verse, verse 3. Uh, here, God is speaking to Jeremiah the prophet, and basically he tells Jeremiah three things about prayer. Call to me, I will answer you, and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Now, what you need to understand in terms of the context is when God is speaking to the prophet, the prophet is in prison. He doesn't know when he's going to live or die. So one of the takeaways from that is this. When you are in the cellar of affliction, when things are bad, when things are dark, and you're down in that cellar, and it's affliction, 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 just remember that the cellar is where our great, king keeps his choicest bottles of wine and you grab those bottles and you drink of that wine now what we have in this verse is three bottles and the first is that God commands prayer he says, call to me on the front end. He, co he commands it. Why? Because God knows our hearts. The real battle in life is our heart now think about it, the Bible never commands us to breathe, it doesn't command us to eat, it doesn't command us to get dressed. You know, we typically don't forget to sleep, brush our teeth, fill our car with gas, check our emails. But we often forget to wrestle with God in prayer. Man, God, I got this thing going on. Man, God, I'm concerned about this. I'm really, really anxious about this. Or God, here's this situation. We regularly forget to wrestle with God in prayer. And as a result, the world gets our hours and Jesus gets our minutes. Minutes. So over and over, from the beginning of the Bible all the way through, God commands us to do the very thing we need the most. The very thing that will fill our hearts and thrill us. The very thing that will carry us through when things are tough, things are difficult, when we have fears and concerns, and that is to pray. So when Satan comes to you and says, how in the world could you pray after what you did last weekend? You say, well, God commands me to pray. And two wrongs don't make a right. And if I have to crawl, I will crawl to the footstool of his grace and I will pray because my God commands me to pray. Call to me. It's a command. A command. 
The second thing we see in this verse is that God promises he will answer prayer. He says, I will answer you, Jeremiah. Now the story goes, this is an old story, it's a, a, a cool story, uh, that when Athens, Greece was the intellectual capital of the world, the Athenian Senate got together and they were meeting outside as they often do. And a, a bird was being chased by a hawk and that bird flew into the flowing robes of one of the Athenian senators who just happened to be a mean, cruel, arrogant guy and so he fished in, got the bird, threw it to the ground, and killed it. Within an hour, within an hour, the Athenian Senate had condemned that senator to death, arguing he was unworthy to be a senator in Athens because he had killed a creature that had come to him for protection. Now, do you really think, do you suppose that God, whose nature is love, who promises to answer the very prayers he commands, would fling you from his heart of mercy? Isn't the streaming blood of Jesus a guarantee of answered prayer. God promises, I will answer. It's a promise. We base our lives on the promises of God. Now, I am not, I am not saying that God gives us whatever we ask. He didn't give Jeremiah whatever Jeremiah asked. But I am saying, and here I'm quoting a famous British preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon, I just love the way Spurgeon put it. He said, if God does not give us the mercy we ask for in silver, he will give it to us in gold. He gives us what is best. Third, at the end of the verse, God encourages faith. He, he says to Jeremiah, I, I will tell you, I will show you, I will reveal, I will disclose, I, I will do Great and unsearchable things. And here I want you to understand that God invites us into the deep end of the swimming pool of prayer. You don't experience the end of this verse in the shallow end. It's a deep end deal. And God invites all of us, every single one of us, into the deep end of the swimming pool of prayer. And what does he do? He promises incredible experiences, robust experiences at the foot of the cross when we pray. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uh, says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. One of the things Paul is saying when he speaks to Christians and says, work out your salvation, is he's saying, be intentional in developing a prayer life. Work it out. Paul is saying swim in the deep end. Uh, a story is told about a conversation between a Muslim and a Christian and, and the Muslim said to the Christian, I'm gonna leave my camel untied tonight and trust providence. The Christian responded, tie your camel up and trust providence. 
believing, ongoing, heartfelt prayer is tying up your camel. And the results God is saying are, can be phenomenal. I mean, think about Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth goes to get some grain. And what kind of God is our God? What does God do for Ruth? He doesn't just give her grain. He gives her a husband. And that husband and wife become the great-grandparents of King David. I will tell you great and unsearchable things. Now let me conclude. How how does this happen? I mean, how do we develop this kind of humility, this kind of prayer? Well, it it begins by understanding that you can't conjure up humility in your own life. I've tried. It doesn't work. And developing a disciplined, ongoing life of prayer is beyond most of us. So what are we to do? Well, the biblical answer is we take our our eyes off ourselves and we lock them on our wounded Savior who died in our place for our sins to avert the wrath of God and to forgive us. And when we look to the, uh, the life, the sufferings, the resurrection of Jesus, and that's the focus of our lives, then God, the Holy Spirit, works in our lives, and along the way we become increasingly humble and increasingly committed to prayer. And may that, may that be true of Wheaton Bible Church. Amen? Let's pray. Let's move into a time of confession. With these two values, humility and prayer, they surface all things and all sorts of things in our life. Uh, Think about that. And if there's things in your life relative to these two areas you need to confess, do it right now. Ask God to give you the grace to change. Ask God to make the wounds of Jesus Christ visible to you. And so, Father, here we are. We don't come to you in strength. We come to you in weakness, just as your son came to us in weakness. And God, I, I, I for one, um, am often dumbfounded by my complete lack of humility. 
and all the opportunities for prayer that I miss. Father, start with me and work in all of us. We want to be a church characterized by humility and prayer. And we pray that you by your spirit would change us. In Jesus' name, amen.